Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Well, good morning. Good to see you. My name is Dave Doms, and I have the privilege of being a member of Community Covenant Church just like you. And uh, really glad to be here this morning. So thankful for Todd's invitation to preach again this first Sunday. A brother was just telling me, hey, you preached last Sunday, the first, last year, first Sunday, and I just completed reading the Bible through. Well done, my friend. Well done. Well, today we want to talk a little bit about something just a touch different and um, I'm feeling like maybe I didn't follow the worship order right. Did I do something? Am I on right now? You're perfect. Okay. <laughs> Great. I'd like to begin with prayer, though. Will you pray with me? Lord, I know that each person here this morning is here at your sovereign invitation. It wasn't easy getting here that we fought against the spiritual forces of evil or maybe even a family member to get here this morning. And so here we are before you and before your word. And I would just ask for the privilege of um, just being a mouthpiece for what you're going to say today from your word. And I pray and trust that you would speak something to each one of us exactly where we need it. And so I humbly ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I don't know if you noticed this year, but uh, the Mega Millions reached the biggest lottery number they'd ever reached, over a billion dollars. And there was great buzz through the whole United States as people lined up everywhere to try and get their tickets. And who wouldn't want a piece of that? I mean, imagine having that kind of money. No more worries about money for the rest of your life. But for many, winning the jackpot can be one of the unluckiest things to ever happen to them. One of those people was a guy named Jim Whitaker from West Virginia. He was actually the wealthiest man to have ever won a lottery when he won it in 2002. He's already worth $17 million, a successful construction manager and businessman in West Virginia. And as soon as he won the lottery, it was, I think, $317 million that he won that year. He made all kinds of proclamations. He says, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to give 10% to Christian charities. And he funded $17 million into his own Jim Whitaker Foundation. And he, he even bought for the person who sold him the ticket, a person he'd known for a long time in the convenience store there in West Virginia. He bought her a new house for $123,000, bought him a new, brought her a new Dodge Ram truck, and also gave her $50,000. But just four years later, after feeding the money to his granddaughter, After gambling it away, she was dead from a drug overdose. Her boyfriend was dead from a drug overdose. Her mother was dead. And he looked into the camera and with tears said, 
how I wish I had torn up that ticket. What is it about the power of money that makes us lose our bearings? You know, Jim's quote that he just shared about us, I didn't like hearing that, that we have more credit card debt than even the next closest state. What is it about the power of money that makes us lose our bearings? Why do we all believe if, well, if we could just win it big, we, we would do it right. We wouldn't be Jim Whitaker. That having that much money wouldn't affect us like it has so many before. Well, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who himself just died with just the clothes on his back, gave us the strongest warning possible right in the center of the greatest sermon ever preached. Will you turn in your Bibles this morning to the Sermon on the Mount and look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where we read the words of our Savior. He says, No one. (laughs) That should be a good clue to us. No one. When the Savior says no one, he actually means no one. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then here comes the sentence. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. You cannot serve both God and money. Have you ever wondered when we read that last seven words in that sentence, we think, that applies to everybody else but me. I could do it. I asked my son, my son came home from uh, Tennessee this week, and he grew up in Alaska, and it was just uh, fun to be with him. And uh, he said, hey, Dad, what are you preaching on this Sunday? Because he knew I was preaching here. And I said, well, I'm preaching on how God said we cannot serve both God and money. I said, hey, Jess, let me ask you a question. Imagine that your two good friends, Anna and Riley, came up to you and said, Jess, Jess, we just won the lottery. $400 million. And Anna and Riley and I, we've talked about it. and We just don't think we could handle it. We think it would destroy us. But we know you're really good with money. Would you take the money instead? I asked him, would you take it, Jesse? And Jesse, <laughs> he's, he's pretty good with money. He started two businesses during while he was taking his MBA. So he's good. He said, yes, I think I could do it. <laughs> Isn't it so true? We all think that verse applies to everybody, but not to us. It's a great warning, Jesus, but the good news is I could do it. 
Well, Jesus recorded this again. He wanted to make sure we didn't miss it. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. And he said this, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Again, these seven words, you cannot serve both God and money. And the Pharisees, and this was the context, who loved money, verse 14, heard all this, and they were sneering at Jesus. I wonder if they were thinking, that applies to everybody but us. They were sneering at Jesus, and he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. Keep that in mind. It's going to be very important later. God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men, winning the lottery, is detestable in God's sight. There it is again, that same teaching. Different context. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, we read it and we say, well, that's true for most people, but the good news is it's not true for me. I'm one. I can handle the money. I can serve both God and money. Just give me a try, God. And we line up for the lottery tickets or head to Vegas to win the big slots. True story. 30 years ago, I was in my last year of seminary at North Park in Chicago. And before they had this big national mega millions thing, the Illinois lottery got to a number that was too big for me to resist. So I didn't tell my wife, and we lived in this little bungalow area in Chicago called Berwyn. I snuck out the back door, and there's alleys between these bungalow houses. I went about five houses down to this little convenience store. I walked in, and I bought two lottery tickets. And I snuck back into the house, and I snuck them in the drawer in the china cabinet and closed it. I didn't even want to tell Lori I did it. And thank goodness I didn't win. Because here's what's true. I know I wouldn't be here today. Money would have redirected my life. Wouldn't have come to Alaska. Wouldn't have gotten in pastoral ministry. What about you? What about if this morning, as you're walking out at 1030, your best friends come and say, Hey, I just heard this sermon that I can't serve both God and money. And we just want it big. Would you take the money instead? $400 million. What would you do? What would happen to you the moment you deposited the $400 million in your bank? It would become your new reality, wouldn't it? It would change the course and the direction of everything. It would be the itch that you could never sufficiently scratch. It would become the issue behind every decision. How long before your marriage fell apart over arguing about how it should be spent? How many family relationships would be permanently changed if suddenly at 10.30 this morning, your friends 
handed you their check that they won in the lottery. There would be a shift. We, we say there wouldn't, but Jesus says there would. What do we do when Jesus says we can't, but we say we can? How do we reconcile this? Is there a way to live with wealth that doesn't mess up our priorities? Does the Bible offer us any answers? And the question this morning is, are you ready to embrace the biblical truth? Because it offers us the answers. And as we just sung, that truth, Bible truth, Jesus truth, will set us free. Well, this might surprise you, but the dangers of wealth show up right in the very first days of humankind on the earth. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Now, this is the story of Cain and Abel. But I'd like for you to look at it through the lens of wealth management. Okay? The story of Cain and Abel. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 2 through 7. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So here you have the rancher, right? The one that works the flocks, and the farmer, the one that works the soil. The herdsman and the cropsman. One worked soil, one worked the fields. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to God, an offering to the Lord. This is going to be very key here. Remember I told you to keep in mind the heart issue that Jesus spoke about to the Pharisees? This is the first biblical record that we have of anyone spending their money on anything. And here it is, they spend it by giving an offering to the Lord. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soils and offering to the Lord. Cain brings some of the crops as an offering to the Lord. But look at verse 4. Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. One brings some, and the other brings the best. Cain brought some to God, but Abel brought the best to God. Now we look at this and we say, well, what's the problem with this? One's a farmer, one's a rancher. One brought what he had, the other brought what he had. Why is God so harsh, as we're going to see in a minute, with Cain's offering? But we need to remember, from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord does not look at things as man looks at them, right? 1 Samuel 7. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And God saw right through Cain's offering. Look, the Lord looked with favor because he saw on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. God saw right into the heart of Cain and his offering. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? 
Another way to say it in our current context, what's this anger all about? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. As we're going to see later on in the sermon, the issue that we don't see when we think, I can handle the 400 million. Give me my shot. Give me my chance. Is with the 400 million dollar check comes sin crouching at the door and it desires to have you. That's what happened to Cain. We see here that God tries to do heart surgery on Cain. He tries to shine the light on the attitude of Cain's heart when he brought some of his crops. When Cain brought the best to God, it was like a tip. But when Abel brought his best to God, it was top shelf. It was the best cut. Sin desires us to not worship God with what God has given us. That's what it's crouching there to do. It desires us, you and me, to not worship God with what God has given us. And certainly not the best of what God gives us. Sin wants us to keep the best for ourselves out of what we earn and not give a portion of the best that God has given to us. This is the heart of what Jesus was trying to warn us against. The reason we cannot serve both God and money is because sin gets in there and convinces us to not worship God with our best. In effect, sin gets in there and convinces us Just give God a tip. Just tip him. He'll be fine with that. He doesn't need the money. You know, he's got the stars and the universe and everything else. Just get by with a tip. God even warned Cain. Cain, you have to master this. And that's behind Jesus' warning to us. You cannot serve both God and money. Christians, believers, Community Covenant Church, you have to master this. Or it will master you. Just like Jesus phrased it, you cannot serve God in money. Well, you know how the story goes. Cain Cain thought, that applies to everybody else, but not to me. And this is what he did. Now Cain said to his brother, Abel, hey man, let's go to the field. Great idea, big brother. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. In this early account of humankind, 
God shows us the way. He shows us the way. He opens the door for us. He shows us the way to be free from the love of money. Abel's way. Offer your best to God. When you make an offering to God, make it from the fat portions of your finances. The first and the best. This is what honors God. Because if money is bigger than God, if keeping, storing, saving, spending is greater than offering, it will pierce your heart with many griefs. That's that feeling you have when the credit card statement comes in and there's more credit card statement than there is money in the bank. That feeling that you have, that's the piercing that he's talking about. In fact, Paul, turn in the New Testament to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Paul is teaching young Timothy this truth. He's preparing him to be a pastor. He's preparing to set him out, send him out. So he tells him, hey, Timothy, when you're a pastor, remember this. Chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice how he brings it right back to exactly what happened in chapter 4. Sin is crouching at the door and it desires to master you, but you must master it. Paul, the experienced pastor, teaching the young pastor Timothy says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money. Even pastors who are being trained for ministry who sneak out the back door of their little bungalow house in Chicago? That guy? Yeah, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Cain pierced himself with many griefs. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. You ever have that feeling? My credit card balance is more than I can bear. My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Notice how when we get in the pain of the results of falling in love with wealth rather than God, we exaggerate the consequences. God didn't say that. He just said, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. Cain turned it into, I'll be driven from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer from the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. We get that credit card statement and what do we say? Oh, no. We exaggerate it. We think there's no options. And all God's saying is, you can't serve both God and money. We can take care of this. I'll help you out of it. Just like he said to Cain. He took care of Cain. 
Well, you say, well, wait a second. Cain didn't have any money. He just had flocks. He just had, I mean, he just had crops. Well, for a farmer, crops is wealth. For a herdsman, flocks are wealth. So what is God's plan? God's plan for saving us from the pain of Cain. It's really, really simple. You ready for it? Here it is. Give God the best of all he gives to you. Give God the best, the first of all he gives to you. The fat portion of your finances goes first and foremost to God. And it's not because God needs it. It's because you do. Giving frees you from serving it. Giving frees you from serving it. This is so foundational to our existence. God actually scheduled in the first When he built his people, the nation of Israel, he scheduled three times a year festivals. And the high point of these festivals was when you and I brought the very best. The best of the lambs, the best of the bullocks, the best of the grains, the best of the oils, the best of the wines. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 23, 14, where we read how God set this up. It's really remarkable. Exodus 23, verse 14. This is God's calendar. God's plan. He says this, and notice what he says. Three times a year, you are celebrate a festival to who? To me. To God. The one who loves you, your provider. Three times a year. Three times a year you get to do this. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. Eat bread without yeast as I command you. Do this at an appointed time in the month of Abib, for the month you came out of Egypt. And then notice this last line. No one, no one, no one, no one is to appear empty-handed before the Lord. So three times a year, we celebrate a festival to God, and no one, comes empty-handed. No one comes without an offering. Note two things this verse. One, it's to the Lord. Two, no one's supposed to come empty-handed. Remember these two truths. They are very important in keeping us free from the temptation of trying to serve both God and money. To the Lord, not empty-handed. Let's keep reading. Celebrate the Feast of Harvest. So this is the second one. With the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate, this is the third one. Celebrate the Feast of Ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. He repeats, verse 17. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the Sovereign Lord. Do not offer the blood of sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The fat of my festival offerings must be not be kept until morning. Bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Notice this last verse, verse 19. Bring the best, absolutely key, 
to being able to implement Jesus' plan. Bring the best. The way God helped us make sure the things we own don't own us is that we bring the best, the top, the fat portion of our finances first to Him. And no one is to come empty-handed. Everyone was to bring something. And financial resources were not to prevent anyone. Everyone's included. Now, what do I mean? Finance means no limiting factor. Well, he goes on to explain in Leviticus chapter 5. You can turn there or I can read it for you. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. If he cannot afford a lamb, so you don't have lambs and bullocks. You have less financial resources than your neighbor. He says, if you cannot afford a lamb, bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord. He's to bring them to the priest who's first to offer one for the sin offering. But even if you can't even afford two doves or, or two pigeons, in verse 11 he says, however, if he can't afford two doves or two young pigeons, bring an offering for his sin, a tenth of an ephah of flour. This is just like a cup. If all you've got is a cup, bring that. But whatever you do, don't show up empty-handed. No one was left out of the festivals. No one was left out of giving. No one was looked down upon. Each gift was a sacrifice. That cup, God gets it. That cup of flour is a sacrifice for you. means there's going to be a little less to eat that day. You probably remember the story, New Testament, where Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, looks at a poor widow. All she's got is two small copper coins. Back then, they they had the offering box right there at the opening to the temple. You gave your offerings and walked in. And this is what he said. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. Wow. It isn't about amount. It's about heart. It's about no one comes empty-handed. This, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. Sound a little like Cain. He brought some of the grain. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her father, poverty put in everything. I don't know what two small copper coins would have bought for them, but when you've got nothing, it's got to buy you a little bit of something. She, all she had to live on. Jesus warned. He said, Community Covenant Church, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, she didn't need to take any corrective action. She got it. She understood it. She was the one person who could actually say, I don't don't have a problem with that verse. It applies to me and I live it. 
So even when we feel we have very little financial means, God honors the sacrifice of a gift. We see that in Leviticus. We see that in the New Testament. But no one, no one comes empty-handed. And in our culture, few are as poor as her. In fact, I figured out, (laughs) you would expect this from me knowing me a little bit. I'm a math guy, right? So I just thought to myself, you know, I wonder how much you make if all you make in life is minimum wage your whole life. How much would you make if you worked from age 18 to age 65 and you lived in Alaska and you just made minimum wage? At the end of those years, you would have made one million three hundred and seventy. $1,302. If you just made today's minimum wage of $9.84 in Alaska and you never got a raise and for 67 years you just worked for minimum wage, in America, you make more than a million in a lifetime. That means you don't have to bring two pennies Over those 67 years, you would have come into the Lord's house and brought him 137,130 dollars. That's the key here. No one needs to come empty-handed. We all have the ability to bring an offering. And it isn't, again, because God needs our offering. It is because we need to honor him with the fat of our finances, with the very best, if we are to be free from the power of serving money. In Malachi, the people were tipping God. This is a dangerous thing to do. They were tipping God with the dregs of the flock, They were bringing in the wounded animals and the blind animals. Turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1, verse 8, where we read this. He says, When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? They knew from reading the Old Testament they were supposed to bring the top, the firstborn, the best. But but they just thought, you know, that three-legged lamb is not doing very well over there. You know, I don't think it's going to make my flocks grow. And I really can't sell it for very much. I mean, who's going to want to buy a three-legged lamb or my blind goat? I'll sneak it into the temple. I'll make that my offering. He says, when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Ooh, that hurts. Ouch. 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 Would he be pleased with limp along? Oh, good. Thanks for bringing me your blind goat. I'm sure looking forward to serving that to my guests. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord? Almighty. He goes on to say, nothing but your best is worthy to be offered to me. Because here's why. I'll read it for you. 
It's a statement of how you honor me. Verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors, that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun in every place. Incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. We just sang three songs this morning. They came right out of our mouths, led by our singers, about how we are to honor and praise the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ. But God says, if you're going to tip me, don't bother. The Bible offers us a clear example of how we can guard ourselves from our natural tendency to serve wealth preservation before serving our God, to value cash more than Jesus, to serve money rather than serving God. And the solution is so straight forward. Give God the first and the best. The best portion of all he's put in your hands first. We cannot serve God and money. I remember teaching my children this. You know what's amazing? I have four children born in Alaska, all Alaskans. What's amazing? You get born in Alaska, you get a paycheck. They give you a permanent fund. Here's this little baby And it's got a permanent fund. And they grow up. So what I did is, we used to get permanent funds on October 10th. I don't know if it's still that date, but it used to be close to that. And so I would sit down with them. And I'd show them, here's where it came into the checking account. It has a separate line for you right there on those checks. We're going to take that. And we're going to take 10%. We're going to write a check right now. And this coming Sunday... You're going to put it in the offering plate. You should see the joy on a four-year-old when they're bringing a $200 check in offering to the Lord. It makes an impact. They get it. They start to see what happens. It was God's plan from the earliest days to protect us from being tight-fisted, thinking that the firmer we grasp our money, the firmer we hold on to what God has given us, then the more secure and happy we will be. When we think like that, it is a sure pathway to serving money, not God. See, God's protection from the very earliest days, from the very earliest days of creation, was to give him the best, the first. Because when God God gets what's left over, what's blind or crippled, then our gift to God limps into the offering plate. And when life, when God is not first, life gets turned upside down. So how do we keep life God's side up? How do we prevent the natural slide of getting our security from our money? Well, I want to share a little plan that I implemented in my life. I talked to Pastor Todd about this. He said, you're sharing your own testimony. So here it is. Here's my testimony. It's called the 10-10-80 plan. Anybody can remember that, right? Let's just say it together. 10-10-80 plan. All right? Here it is. First of all, we flip our finances right side up. 
God is first in the budget. Do you have trouble budgeting? I don't want to see a show of hands. I have trouble budgeting. I admit it. I'm bad at it. But here's what I found. With this little simple plan, 10-10-80, I pay God, I pay myself, and then I live off the rest. That's all I got to remember. First 10 to God, Next 10 to savings, live off the rest. And since doing that 28 years ago, I've never looked back. It's a great plan for folks like me who really struggle to budget. So how does it work? As soon as you get your paycheck and whatever God's given you, you give him 10% right off the top. That's the first 10 here. Whatever it is. Now, some people say, well, do I give 10% off the net or the gross? (laughs) Okay? To that, I would say, if you give off the net, how different is that than giving God a three-legged animal or a blind goat? In fact, to even ask the question, do I give off the net or the gross? You've actually already revealed your hand. Because you are serving money rather than God. Because you're trying to figure out how to give less to God. You're trying to figure out how to get by rather than give the top. So first, you pay the first 10% to God. Right off the top. For years I used to use Quicken. Don't use Quicken anymore, but... About this week in the year, I would print off, we'd figure it out about, we'd budget, figure out, okay, we're, this year it looks like if things don't change, we're going to make about this much money. I would write 52 checks, stick them in my file with that 10%. So each Sunday, all I had to do was go and pick one out. It was already ready, ready to go. Now you can set up giving in our church. You can set it up auto-deposit if you want. Maybe that's a better way and less paperwork for everybody. Now, remember, God doesn't need to be paid. I'm just using that as a figure of speech. Pay God, pay yourself, live off the rest. He doesn't need to be paid because he doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, every one of them. Every star in the heavens is his. But we need to give because it's our way to give God an offering. It's our way of honoring him with the very best. So what's the second 10? Second 10 is you pay yourself. What this means is that 10% of all you make goes immediately into savings. You do not touch it till you retire. It's safe and secure. Think about that in terms of the person who just makes minimum wage for 67 years in their life. At the very minimum, if, if they just put their money in the ground, and not in interest. They'd have $137,000 at age 65. Just working minimum, minimum wage. If they just paid themselves and didn't touch it. You're paying yourself so when retirement comes, you're ready. You've been preparing for years. So first God 10, then you 10, and then you live off the rest. You just make sure the last 80%, that's what you live off of. Pay God, pay yourself, live off the rest. You will never, ever get yourself in trouble with credit card debt with this simple plan. Ever. Because you're living off 
the last 80%. Now, why should you do this? Well, what I found is it protects you from serving money. Second, it secures your future. Your offerings to God are like treasure stored up in heaven, and your savings on earth is there for retirement. Third, you start to begin to live within your means rather than beyond your means. And fourth, <laughs> it's simple to remember, isn't it? 10, 10, 80, I got that. Simple to remember. Now, some say, well, why 10%? Well, 10% is a biblical starting place. In the Old Testament, 10% was the tithe. And there is so much instruction about the tithe and not neglecting the tithe. But then Jesus picks it up here in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where he says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Just going to see if I can get that. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Then notice what he says. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. What's the former? Tithing from what God's given you. Here he uses the example mint, dill, and cumin. Besides, what you'll find is once you start with the starting place of giving the top 10% to God, the top shelf of your giving to God, this is what you will find and this is what I've found. You will start to be more and more generous. Your heart will change. You will actually start using some of the 80% to give to special needs that God gives you eyes to see. To missionaries. To helping out with building or projects. You'll start to see this happen, Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. Oops, sorry. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. From the measure you use, it will be the measure to you. That's why you would never give off the net. It's that last line, right? You would always give off the gross. And when you give in this way, you will start to enjoy the benefits of giving for God's eyes only. There's so much I could, more I could share, and I would love to address with you those of you who are scared. Right now, you're going, Ah! Ah! I can't do this! Because already every dollar has two jobs calling out for it. How can you begin to live this way? Not serving God, not serving money, but serving God. How can you live 10, 10, 80? How can you bring the fat of your finances first? Well, first, as Jim had mentioned, get some instruction. Here it is. We have financial peace. University. Starting this week, we are going to have financial peace university at this church. 
They have it scheduled for the library, but my hope is after this sermon, Jim's going to have to order so many books that this room's going to be filled on Wednesday night. Because this is what's true. I've taken, Lori and I have taken this twice. Twice. And it changed the course of our life. Basically, some of these principles I'm sharing with you reinforced are reinforced in Financial Peace University. You will get ahead. All four of my children have taken back then, and I don't know if they still do this, Jim, but in those days, if you were in high school and you came to Financial Peace University, you came for free. And they gave you the tapes and they gave you the books. And all four of my children implemented Financial Peace University. And I'll just say this. We saved their permanent funds. They gave their 10%. We saved their permanent funds and college funds. Then they implemented Financial Peace in their life And to God's glory and by his grace, all four graduated from private university with zero debt. So come, fill this room. Financial Peace University. Jim does a great job. Bring your teenage children. If you're a teenager here today, this is most important for you because if you start doing this at 18, if you start doing Financial Peace University, if you start living 10, 10, 80 right now, you will be so glad when you are 28. You will be so thankful. So come. You will never regret it. Coming to Financial Peace. And how many, time, how many things can you say that about in life? Second, perhaps this sermon has stirred up your fish pond. Now, what do I mean by the fish pond? You know when you go to Hawaii or you see one of those hotels and they've got those Japanese fish? You know, and they swim around and they swim around and they swim around and they eat and they eat and eat. But they're also doing something else, right? And all that lands at the bottom of the pond. And a couple times a year, you got to clean out the fish pond. And the first couple of days, it's just cloudy with all that stuff. So maybe this sermon has kind of stirred up your fish pond, okay? And stirred up some things. Perhaps you frequently have come to the Lord empty-handed. Perhaps you tip the person who makes your coffee more consistently than you give to God. Perhaps you've been tight-fisted or resentful. Maybe you're even angry that you're here today, that you heard me preach this stuff. Or perhaps you've built up a mountain of debt. Here's all you need. You just need a do-over. Just need a do-over. And the great news about being in the Christian church, (laughs) do-overs are free. They're abundant. You get a do-over. So right now in your head, no matter what you've heard or whatever message is, just simply say, I get a do-over. Let's say it together. I get a do-over. Do you believe it? You get a do-over. Our God is a God of do-overs. Jesus loves to give anyone else a second chance. So right now, it's a clean slate. Clean slate. You get to start all over. The old is gone. The new has come. Financial peace. Will she even show you? What was that average, Jim? 8000 bucks. He'll even show you how to whittle that down. But you get a do-over. Is there anyone here who needs a do-over? I do. I'm seeing some head shake here. Who's made some financial mistakes? 
who've tried to say, that applies to everybody but me. I can actually serve God and money. Just give me a try. (laughs) Jesus says, no, you can't. You need a do-over. But more than that, maybe sin has sucked you in and you need forgiveness, freedom, a fresh start. So push the finances aside right now. Just come right here. And let's talk about your heart that needs a do-over. Jesus wants to offer you a heart do-over. He wants to forgive all your sins. And he offers you by saying in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, come to me, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need a rest today? That's what our message is. We need to do over and we need to rest. And the only person that can give us that is Jesus. So there's just one thing to do. Come to him. That's it. Come to Jesus. And last, I want to share with you the reason I named this sermon Plus One. You know, I'm a big believer in baby steps. That big change starts with a first step. So maybe you go, oh my goodness, 10%? How in the world can I ever do that? Well, here's the deal. Just start with plus one. One more percent than you did in 2018. In 10 years, you're going to be there. Plus one. Just one more percent than you did last year. You will start to discover that giving is living and serving God first with what, I, what we have will keep you safe from the trap of believing. That applies to everybody else, but not to me. We always get a do-over. In Christ, we always get a do-over. And that's what this dinner is about. A do-over, communion. Jesus was meeting with, (laughs) he was meeting with people who thought, I can buy my way out of this. I can sell Jesus out. No, Lord, I won't, I'll never deny you. He's meeting with a person who he actually says at that dinner, uh, well, actually, you're going to deny me three times. It doesn't matter. He knows that Peter needs a do-over. I even believe Jesus would have got a do-over if he just asked, just come and said, Christ, I've done a terrible thing. I sold you out for pieces of gold. I think Christ would have gathered with them, broken the bread, and said, Come to me, all who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So you're invited now um, to come, and uh, we have the cup uh, with grape juice, and we have symbol of the bread and a cracker, and there's gluten-free option. And when you're ready, just see this as you're walking forward to come to Jesus and take his body 
and take his blood and go back to your seat. And we invite you to take his body when you're ready. And then we'll all stand and take the cup together. Let's take communion.